0: Our lesson this morning comes from the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. Very familiar words. Here the first five verses. In those days a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to their own towns to be registered Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged. And who is expecting a child? Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You, Yeah, you, 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 you. By your birth, changed your parents' life. Yeah, you did, absolutely. And if you're like most Southern families, when you gather for Christmas and Thanksgiving, they will tell you how you changed their family. Parents are never the same once the kid's born because you're a parent then for the whole deal. You can't get out of this parenthood thing once the child comes. You wait for the benefit of being the grandparent. That's where parenthood shakes out. Those are are the blessings. It's like, ah, you know why we like being grandparents, don't you? It's because we like to watch our kids struggle with what we struggle with trying to raise them. A baby changes things, really. Suddenly that man and the woman are now a father and a mother. And with one baby, there are four new relationships. You know, mom and dad now have a new relationship and there's a relationship the baby has with the mom and there's a relationship the baby has with the dad and they're all different and they're all unique. And sometimes it causes chaos. But a baby changes things. That's what brings us annually to this time of year as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, on that baby in a manger. We're, as a church, doing this journey to Advent an Advent is a journey. It's a journey to Bethlehem, and it's a journey that scripturally takes us a while to get there. We want to go ahead and put gifts under the tree and sing joy to the world and have candle lights and silent night. We want to open our gifts. We want to see what, what we've got. We, we want it all right now because that's the immediate culture in which we live. We don't want to wait. We want it. And Advent says, just hang on a minute, just, just wait, journey with me. And oh my gosh, if you've got children, you know how terrible that is, journey with me. And the first question is, are we there yet? How much longer until we get there? We want to know, we don't want to wait And now the kids have gotten so fancy, they don't ask, are we there yet? And when are we going to be there? They're in the back with their phones and they're going, Dad, you have 2.6 hours and you will travel 135 miles exactly. Your next turn is right here. But let's just think about those two images for a little bit this morning. The idea of journeying and the idea of journeying to that baby. In North American church life, we don't talk about it well. We don't talk about the fact that God has called us to this journey of faith that is not a sedentary thing. It is not something you even have the same address for a long time. God invites his people on with the journey. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what were they doing? They were journeying. Joseph ends up in Egypt and what did he do? He managed to get the whole nation of Israel to come to Egypt from 400 years they spent as slaves in Egypt. God raised up Moses to get the people freed from Pharaoh. And what happened? They immediately went on a journey. All six million of them crossed the Red Sea. They gathered around Sinai. God gave them the Ten Commandments. The Holiness Code develops. And for 40 years, the Hebrews are journeying. They're journeying through the wilderness. They finally crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, and it takes them years to take the promised land as their own. And the whole time God is journeying with them by, in the tabernacle. He is always present in the wilderness. He led them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. God was always there. And he told his people, I'm always going to be with you, but I want you to live me in certain ways and as you're journeying I want you to express that journey in certain ways the children of Israel land in the promised land they get settled and they build a temple so God's in a place in Jerusalem they don't have to journey anymore God is in a fixed place they can go to God And as their journey stops, so does their faith in him. He got them to this point. They were happy with where they were. They started ignoring the holiness code. They started ignoring what they were called to do, taking care of widows and orphans. They stopped really living for God. And their culture Falls apart, and their nation falls apart. So I'm going to leave us right there with just the temple. I want to. I'm going to come back to the temple, but I want to say that Jesus told us we're just pilgrims. Fault. We are just pilgrims journeying. This isn't our home. Our home's in heaven with our Father in heaven, and while we're journeying. We live for him and follow him and do the things he commanded us to do and live the way that he wants us to live. Jesus said to the disciples before he sent them out, I'm sending you out, sending you out two by two. Take nothing for the journey. Can you imagine? Take nothing for the journey. I've almost forgotten what it was like to travel with little ones. I know that we packed a little bag and the bag either had diapers or clothes they could change into it, had all the stuff you needed, maybe had a bottle, maybe had a um, can of formula. I have forgotten it was light. My kids show up now with our grandkids and they show up with their vehicles pulling a trailer for all the junk they're bringing for the kids. I mean, the kids have diaper bags, the kids have play pens, the kids have things to sleep in, the kids have all this stuff that you've got to have now, plus the kids have all their technology. I have to buy a generator and crank it up every time the kids come with the kids because they're pulling so many KWs out of the system, charging all this stuff, it's ridiculous. Travel light. Jesus said... Take nothing for the journey. Nothing. Not even extra clothes. Don't take it. When you go to a house, if they receive you and welcome you, stay in that house, be satisfied with that house. Their accommodations, their food, be satisfied. If they don't receive you, if the town doesn't receive you, shake the dust off, get on, go to someplace else because you're on a journey. And the journey in the New Testament, Jesus has him up on the mountain and he is transfigured before them. Peter, James, and John see his clothes just glow white and the cloud overshadows them. This is my son, listen to him. And Peter, James, and John are so happy that Peter wants to do a building program so he can stay on the mountain always. But Jesus hadn't called us to stay on the mountain because ministry takes takes place in the valley. The man with the epileptic son is in the valley. And you can watch the New Testament. Jesus is always journeying with people. After a mountaintop, Jesus will take his disciples on purpose into a valley. Don't get comfortable on the mountain. Don't be bitter in the valley because something's going to change. Ministry and following Jesus is always a transition. He told us, go and be my church. As you're going, as you're living your life, as you're making money, as you're planning for your kids, as you're doing the things you do as a human being, make others disciples of Jesus. Make others, cause them to follow me. Baptize them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. What's Jesus telling us? Life is a journey, an advent is a journey to the baby, the baby who changed everything. I stopped with the temple because I wanted to leave it there, and I'm coming back to the temple now, the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem's architecture reflects the theology of the Jewish people and in the center of the temple is a room called the Holy of Holies and in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant is there and the mercy seat of God is there. And the priest is allowed into the Holy of Holies one day of year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the priest goes into the Holy of Holies after making sacrifice for his own sins. He goes into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. And symbolically the priest will come out and lay his hands on the goat and the goat is carried off the scapegoat into Azazel, the wilderness, and the sins of the people symbolically are removed forever. But there arose in Israel a custom that when the priest went into the holy of holies they would tie a rope around his ankle. And that another priest in the holy place would be hanging on to the other end of the rope. Because if the priest going into the holy of holies had not made adequate sacrifice for his own sins and God did not receive his sacrifice as acceptable God's Shekinah glory would enter the room and the man would be overwhelmed and he would fall out dead. That'll tend to keep people from volunteering to be a priest. It was an awesome and fearful thing to consider approaching the Holy of Holies, it was an awesome and fearful thing to stand before a holy God. It was not something that was taken lightly. It was something that you could die doing. The Shekinah glory of God. But that's not the image that most of us have of God, especially not in the Christmas tradition, and there's a good reason for it. We don't think of God in that way because that baby in Bethlehem changed it all. Think of Mary. It could have been a midwife helping her. It could have been Joseph himself. But someone took that naked baby boy, wiped the fluid from his body, and while the umbilical cord was still attached, laid him on Mary's chest. And Mary, weeping with tears of joy and or tears of exhaustion, looked into the eyes of her baby for the first time. She was overcome with the wonder that here not only was the son she had long expected, but God in the flesh. There was no Shekinah, at the manger there was no terror there was no fire of judgment there was no instant death for this awestruck teenager who not only looked upon God but gazed deeply into God's eyes in the manger stall of Bethlehem Mary was permitted to do something no high priest in all of Israel had ever done. She held the Most High God in her arms and she tenderly kissed God on the forehead. Babies change things. So those of us who believe in God and in Jesus and have journeyed over several years to this stable in Bethlehem, can never really be sure of God again. We can never be sure how God will appear to us. Or to what lengths he will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of human beings. Holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were right there in the manger, in a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and a baby whose mother and earthly father were peasants in a place that was so lowly and so earthbound. But holiness was right there in the manger. And that means you and I can never be safe again We never know, we never know where God will come to us. We can't find a place to hide from him. We can't stop his power from breaking into our lives and from recreating our human hearts. And it is when God seems most helpless, a newborn baby, that he is most powerful. It is where we least expect him to be that he comes mightily. There's another side to this. The babe of Bethlehem means that we're never safe from God. He can come to us at any time in any way, but it also means God is not safe from us. It means that you and I can always turn him down, can always turn our backs on him. It means that when God comes to us in hungry people, we don't have to feed them. When he comes to us in lonely people, we don't have to comfort them. When he comes to us in all the desperate human needs of people everywhere, we're always free to turn our backs on them and him and do as we please. This journey to Bethlehem is a radical trip if you ponder it. It's a trip that will change your soul and your life and your being for eternity. Because there in Bethlehem, holiness is in a manger. The Shekinah glory of God is hidden by days or weak old hay. And the awesome God who created it all is wrapped in swaddling clothes. Isaiah said, for a child has been born for us, a son is given to us, authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, but it all comes in the simplicity of a manger. It all comes so you can look into the eyes of God. So you can lift the baby out of the manger and hold the baby Jesus to your heart. So you can feel that baby. Changing your life. If we journey as the Bible has laid out the journey, it changes us for eternity. The babe of Bethlehem, a baby. A simple thing the baby grows becomes a man and preaches and teaches and he says one night this is my body which is broken for you this is my blood which is shed for you how simple is that bread And the cup. Yet right here too is found holiness. Right here too is found the very presence of God. And we invite you in a minute to journey to the altar. To receive the sacrament. To be reminded of Jesus the baby. And Jesus the Savior. And to let him transform your life, change the trajectory of your journey for eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.